Seedlang is the company that our guest in today's episode has founded. I, I always struggle with this verb to found something to found. because it's also the past tense of to find. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You are the founder yeah. of an amazing language learning app. And I am the learner. Seedlang. <laughs> and you are the use, one <laughs> of the many you, users. Thank you. And uh, you graciously uh, agreed to talk to us, not just about the app, but about founding a company in Berlin. Welcome, yes. Jeremy, to the Thank show. You. This has been the most official guest intro I've done so far. Wow, it sounded very professional. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us a little about yourself. We should disclaim first that we're also friends mm -hmm. and that our companies closely cooperate and work on different projects together. Um, but tell us about yourself, you, Jeremy. The okay, person. where do I start? <laughs> that's, that's, you know, it goes back quite a ways. Like how? Let's start <laughs> with when did you leave home and where was home? Okay, when did I leave originally? Or like when did you come to Germany? Okay, so I came to Germany in 2014. Um, basically, I was living in Brooklyn beforehand, working at a makerspace, a well-known makerspace in Brooklyn called Third Ward. And the founder of that company mismanaged the funds, and the company went kind of catastrophically bankrupt. And so I say catastrophically because companies can go bankrupt. You can do it in a controlled way. You can, you know, kind of inform your staff. You can inform your customers. You can um, give people their money back when they've, you know, deposited thousands of dollars for classes and so forth. But he didn't actually have a good handle on the finances. And um, yeah, we went bankrupt. There was like some scandal around it about his mismanagement and it was in all the blogs in new york at the time and i had been searching for jobs and so i went and got like a job i was very happy with by the way i was cto of this of this um this company this makerspace and so in cto means a chief technical officer, officer. And, and not to interrupt but how now i do want to know how you ended up in that role like what what was your background that Okay. Brought you into this role. Yeah, that's okay. So going back to, you know, the beginning was I studied computer science. Um, when I left college, I started a fantasy football company. And so I did that for uh, four years and then sold that for a modest amount. Um, but <clears throat> was lucky from that point to be able to take a break from technology and played poker for a living for four years from that point. <laughs> Your CV you know? is a rhyming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's all over the place. So from poker, I kind of had this feeling that I wanted to do something more meaningful. You know, if you play poker for a living for a few years, you get the feeling that your, um, your job is to take other people's money. And so that's fun for a little small period when you're like, wait, I can actually do this. Like I'm good enough to, to succeed at this. Um, but then eventually you feel like, but what am I contributing to the world? Like, how mm -hmm. is this a good thing for, for me, for my soul or for society? Um, so yeah, I ended up in New York and sort of bought into the whole startup um, ethos about, you know, changing the world and so forth. And this was 2010. And it was kind of in the beginning, I think, of when the startup, yeah, this mindset had sort started to um, come together. And 
So I wanted to start a business and I didn't know what it would be. I just knew I wanted to make a difference. And so I kind of poked around for a few years in New York and did freelance work and, um, yeah, didn't find anything really that grabbed me. And then, um, yeah, I found a job at this place, Third Ward, and um, I had taken some classes there. So, I mean, to give some background and what Third Ward was, um, it was a makerspace that taught all different different creative pursuits in one building. So you could do woodworking, metal working, fashion design, sculpture, robotics, computer science, all within one location. And people, you know, they it was well known for having this very um, creative community of like cross collaboration across different mediums. And when I went there, it just spoke to me so so much, like as even a student and as somebody that experienced what it's like to be there. Um, and I found out they were looking for a web designer. And I had a an interview with the CEO and the COO at the time. And they told me sort of the reality of how things worked behind the scenes. And I told them in the interview that this sounds like a disaster. Like, <laughs> like, how do you guys keep this thing going? Like, you're running this business with a bunch of interns who have no experience in education. Um, there's no processes under the hood. There's no even centralized database of classes. Uh-huh. They even running from like a spreadsheet and then having – interns update a square pay, uh, squarespace website to keep you know the website up to date but it wasn't a central database and i was just like that's not a way that you run a school in uh-huh. 2014 you know um so i just told them you know this is a disaster but i think i can help you guys fix it and but the my um the 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 thing i i i sort of um required out of the interview was that i'm not a web designer i'm your cto you know because if i come in i need sort of the authority to help you to change the company change the culture change the staff you know and so that i is, convinced that them. is a ballsy move <laughs> that is, but it is a great yeah. lesson yeah, for yeah. anyone know to, your worth yeah yeah like, big know your worth yeah yes. but also know when you see something that just looks wrong like yeah. why would you keep that in like if i'm going to come into your organization as soon as i get there i'm going to be very vocal so why not start being vocal immediately because if we agree on what's wrong then we can align and and make it better and so I was lucky. I mean, they told me after the fact that everybody else they interviewed had been just like so excited to be there and like telling them how amazing the company was. And I was the only one that was like, "No, this is wrong." Like, mm-hmm. and they uh, knew it probably. Yeah, they knew. It's it. not like they yeah, didn't yeah, know yeah. what the issues were. Yeah, they knew it. Okay, so but then you didn't save the company. It went. No, it went <laughs> under. Well, that was a difficult position to be in because even once I got there, I saw that the founder was sort of absent from a lot of the financial goings on. And, um, and I, yeah, there were just things happening, like classes were starting where the materials were not there. So like somebody would come to a painting class and there would be no paints, there'd be no canvas, there'd be, and so like, it was a little bit disastrous. And we were running deficits with different suppliers and juggling the finances and, yeah, so I was in the position of needing to tell the staff like how dire things were, um, but while also trying to move things forward, you know. So it was a difficult position to be in. Um, 
I, I saw that the company would go under about two months before it did. And I met with the CEO and the COO. And I told them we need to um, we need to basically have a controlled shutdown of the company. Mm-hmm. Because if we don't do it in a controlled way, all of our reputations will be ruined, actually. And um, so the CEO's response was, what are you talking about? And I was like, everything's fine. <laughs> yeah, everything's, we're, we're fighting to save this thing, man. We can do it. And I was like, yeah, I don't think so. I the think American we're past optimism. the point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's borders on delusion. Yeah, you know, it, it It is a, 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 yeah, a unique characteristic of our culture. Yeah. So, so that company went under your reputation. It was damaged. So, I mean, I, I would put it this way that I, I had a job that I was very excited to get. Um, and I was hired, I was going to start on a Monday and on Saturday they emailed me and said, Hey man, we're really sorry, but we did some more investigation into the whole thing with third ward. Uh-huh. And like, we really do believe, you know, your side of the story, but it's such a risk for us that we just want to take the risk and we're not going to be able to hire you. Uh-huh. And so I went from that to taking another job that I really didn't want. And then saying, Actually, you know what? I don't want to work at a company that I'm not happy to be at. And so I'm going to essentially downscale my life and head off to Berlin. And and how did <laughs> how did how did Berlin come into the picture? Like downscaling your life, doing your own thing that I get yeah, yeah. these experiences, but where did Berlin come yeah, from? Yeah, out of all the cities you could have chosen. Yeah. Well, the thing I'd heard um, from people in Brooklyn was Berlin is the only city that is as cool as Brooklyn, but cheap. <laughs> That's a good description. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I was like, wait, it's cheap? And it's as cool as Brooklyn? Like, what else do I want? You and know? you're also coming from a Brooklyn probably salary and living standards. So yeah. you're like <laughs> yeah, making money fly here. In a way. I mean, it, it got a little tight at the end, though, I have to say. <laughs> you know, like... Um, but yeah, I mean, there is a big difference. Like my first job in Berlin, I made less than half of what I made in New York. Like, like almost a third of what I made in in New York. So, it's a big difference. It's but big it's much difference. cheaper to live here. It's yeah. like the rent was also a third of the rent in New That's York. True. What year was this? This was 2014. 2014. Yeah, so it was still cheap here. So you made the decision, walk us through the logistics, because how do you even get a visa here? Do you just come on a tourist visa and say, hey, uh, I want to start a company here? Yeah. Well, the company came later because I didn't even have the idea for the company in the beginning. Uh, okay. um, so I arrive and I get a freelancer. Or no, I'm sorry. I, I arrive and I'm under a tourist visa um, that only lasts for three months. Um And I kind of procrastinated going and taking care of getting the freelancer's visa. And I remember I was at a party with a bunch of Americans like two weeks before my visa was going to run out. And I just casually said something like, you know, yeah, I haven't really dealt with it yet, but I'm just going to go to the, the, uh, um, yeah, like, you know, next week in the morning and I'll take care of it. And they're like, what? <laughs> like, what like, are you talking you about? I think that's possible? You did not get the appointment yeah. like seven months ago? Yeah, you haven't even done really the research of what you need, all the mm-hmm. paperwork and everything. And um, and so I was like, oh, okay. Um, well, this is my first time out of the U.S. Why don't I go travel a bit and come back later, you know, <laughs> and see if I do want to come back later? Because basically I was exploring this whole digital nomad lifestyle and everybody's talking about Chiang Mai as kind of the the place for digital nomads. 
And so I just thought, okay, I'll spend a couple months like in Asia, travel around a bit, and then if I want to come back, I'll come back. And so that's what happened. I and left Berlin. Come back, you did want. <laughs> I eventually <laughs> found myself wanting to come back. I mean, I found that the culture in Thailand didn't resonate with me. And I also found somehow I didn't like being somewhere where I was I was always kind of a mark, you know. I mean, you can they can see you from across the street that you're not you're not local and you get approached constantly. And I just never felt completely comfortable there. Um, but I, I was only there for a month. And then I was in Nepal uh, for two months. And that's where I came up with the idea for seedling, essentially. It was in Nepal at the point when I decided to come back to Germany. I love I've, I love that we're in a point of the story that I've never heard. So you were in <laughs> Nepal yeah, yeah. when the idea of seedling occurred to yeah. you. What were you doing? It's very, I mean, but maybe before you tell the story, give us a brief description for those listeners that don't know what seedling is, because it is, or in the in the beginning, it was just an app to learn German specifically. Yeah. So how did this occur to you in Nepal? <clears throat> okay, so, well, basically, what I was looking for when I, because I knew I, I was interested in making a language learning app, because the other ones that I had tried, which at the time, kind of Duolingo and Memorize, were the two that resonated with me to some extent, but that I never... Like, it never translated into me feeling comfortable speaking German. Um, and so I was always looking for some sort of kernel of insight as to how you could improve your your spoken German. Um, and I found a audio course from a guy called Michelle Thomas. Yes, we talked about yeah, it. Yeah. I, I used to be a huge fan of his courses. Yeah. I, I still am. Michelle Thomas. He has this whole... Well, he doesn't live anymore, but he was very famous for his courses that he did in person with like celebrities, but then he also made these audio courses. And the whole philosophy is that as the student, there's like no responsibility. There's no homework. There's nothing to write down. You're not reviewing grammar or anything. All you're doing is listening and following along. And whenever he asks a question, you need to answer it out loud. You need to hit pause and answer the question. And he will teach you the language bit by bit and without using all of the official terms for the different cases and the different uh, times and stuff like that. And instead, he's like using metaphors and stuff that will help you remember. Yeah, did I yeah, do a yeah. job of summarizing? Yeah, I think so. It's great in the beginning because he just makes you feel like you're learning so fast. Like when yeah. I started learning Spanish that way, I was just like, oh my God, I'm leapfrogging everybody else. Yeah. Which is only partially true probably, but he has a good way of basically kickstarting you and telling you, look, all the verbs that end on ing are basically the same in Spanish, so you already know them and stuff right. like that. But I think one of the the, the sort of magic pieces to what the, how the course is constructed is that I mean, you spend your whole time listening and speaking because right. you're you're hearing him tutor two students. He's prompting them with new phrases. He's asking them to repeat the phrases as he introduces them. So um, the student who's listening to the audio course can also pause the recording, you know, repeat as he he prompts the phrase. Um, and then he'll ask for you to make a translation giving all the phrases you've been taught. And then you you pause the recording, you make an attempt at the translation, you then hit play to see if you're correct. And so that was actually the the piece of it that I thought was like worthy of making an interactive kind of piece of software around. Mm -hmm. You know, like listen to somebody speaking German, um, repeat what they say, 
and then make translations and hear if you're correct. Mm-hmm. And and to me, that was already like a big difference over something like Duolingo, where you're just kind of dragging little pieces of text around a screen, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I just remember like after the first day of using Michelle Thomas, I was like walking around the streets of Nepal saying German phrases out loud, saying like, wow, I can do this. Like I, I got sort of the wheel you know the, the ball rolling with with this this course and he got me speaking these sentences and now i'm just sort of like it feels easy like the the muscle memory of saying these things right. is sticking with me and he does it like he has a good pacing too where it's always challenging but you never feel like you're dumb or you can't do it. Yeah. Um, but also the genius of it is that he has two students. A good one and a bad one. <laughs> a good one and a bad one. So you're in the, somewhere in the middle. Yeah, you always feel smarter than the the bad students. So, yeah. But I, I always wondered if that was really on purpose. I don't like, think it was How do you hire people on purpose? You know, it's like, because yeah, yeah. those students were legitimately people who yeah, didn't speak a word. Yeah, they're beginners. Right. So it must have been a little bit of luck too. But yeah. it was the same on my courses where I was always like. I mean, you can probably tell by like person's background if they've studied anything else are they a good student or a bad student i don't know well to catch yeah. on i think it's a lot to do with short-term memory though true because right. the people that are sort of latching on they're just i mean i think actually short-term memory has a lot to do with your how your success um will go with learning a language like people that say oh but it's easy like like you know i don't have any special talent i think they underestimate probably their own kind of strengths mm-hmm. like with short-term memory because right. i have a ridiculously terrible short-term memory i have a bad and memory i've always found it very challenging to sort of um to remember vocabulary and so but i've always thought me being a poor language student is good for c lang's kind of like pedagogy because i'm always reinforcing and trying to make things as vivid and colorful i will as say possible. that's one cool thing about seedling yeah thank you yeah yeah so seedling, personal positive review thank you thank you <laughs> seedling is based all on the idea of like videos every word is a video every sentence is a video every like am i doing a good job explaining your yeah idea? yeah sure yeah everything's a video i mean that was one of the original kind of like outlandish ideas i remember i used to tell people in Berlin what I was working on. And I was like, yeah, it's going to be this app where every single word in the entire dictionary dictionary is going to be a video, every sentence, every word. And I remember one guy telling me, well, well, he was a German. Germans can be very skeptical with your startup ideas. Really? (laughs) Really? Huh? Very, very skeptical. Um, (laughs) And he, he told me, well, that's impossible. And I was like, I don't see why it's impossible. Like, like, what's impossible? It's in, a finite in, you know, set of words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, early on, I remember early when when I first met you, um, you had already done it. Like, Seedlang already existed. Yeah, it wasn't a native app yet, but you could use it on the website. And the closest comparison that I could come up with is Google Street View, where uh-huh. it's also like, I mean, it's a different scale altogether. But yeah. I think when Google started saying, we're just going to take photos of every single street and like the entire street so you can look at every street and every house in the world. You know, it's like, it just sounds impossible until someone does it. And now it's like taken for granted and other companies are doing the same thing now, actually. So there's duplicate sets. Okay. So it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, 
But I mean, early on in the early prototypes, I was recording the video with, you know, a video camera and then editing in Premiere. Yeah. And I quickly realized that, okay, if I really want to make a video for every word, every sentence, I have to create software to make the recording process really efficient. Yeah. And so that's built into the backend of Seedlang that we prompt our teachers with like what words and sentences they should record. And then they record it directly into the browser. And without even any review process, as soon as they record it, it appears in the app, you know? At some point, you're going to have a teacher, who, like a disgruntled employee type of situation <laughs> where they're going to record a bunch of obscenity, obscenities. Could happen. <laughs> I mean, now there's 15,000 words in, in German. It would take a long time before we heard, you know, <laughs> that this video is, is maybe inappropriate. Yeah. So do you come from like a app programming like background like is it very easy for you to say oh i'm just going to make this type of software right now and try it out i mean i think the the sort of the superpower of developers is that once you learn any form of development you think you can do everything else mm -hmm. so even though i hadn't ever made an app like a mobile app like i thought well other people do it i can do it mm -hmm. you know and i mean but i had a good philosophy um going in I mean, from a technical standpoint, I don't know if this is interesting or not, but I I built the website in React, and then I made everything very portable to this technology called the React Native, which allows me to reuse a lot of the code in the app. And I mean, for a long time, I was, I was the only developer on Seedling. Like, doing it this way was the only way I could make an app, you know, because most, most companies that are doing comparably ambitious projects would have, you know, let's say at least at least six or seven developers, but m more often, like a lot more, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah. Okay. So back to how you got this idea. Yeah. You're, you're in, still in Nepal. We're Nepal. still in Nepal at this yes. point. Okay. Um, and you're listening to Michelle Thomas. Yeah. And that kind of sparked this idea that you would like to create a language learning app. Yeah. Primarily for German. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I always had the ambition of adding other languages, but I knew I wanted to build something that I wanted to use. And so starting with German made sense. It kept everything kind of, you know, um, doable. And so I started, I built a small prototype. I came back to Berlin. I started going to meetups, telling everybody about my great idea, getting some skeptical responses. Um, but I started reaching out to different um, creators that were, you know, working in the, the German teaching field um, with my idea to, to find a collaborator, because obviously I couldn't do this myself. Um, and my first collaborator was a manual from Your Daily German, the blog that both Seedlang and Easy German collaborates with fairly often. And we're, you know, he's friends of, of all of ours. Um, and um, yeah, and so that was an, an interesting collaboration. It's interesting because he strikes me as a skeptical person. He's skeptical. <laughs> <laughs> How did you it, get him, of all people? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I'd have to ask him. I mean, I, I think, yeah, we'd have to ask him. Um, but in the end, I needed somebody that would be in front of the camera. So I was always targeting um, YouTubers because I just thought, okay, like they're self-selecting themselves as like being good in front of the camera. They have an audience. And so I started reaching out to YouTubers and I worked with um, Jenny from German. What's her channel called? German with Jenny. Uh, now it's called wait, Lingoni. Mm -hmm. um, and so I worked with her for a little bit. You know, it wasn't exactly a creative match. And um, 
and then reached out to Kari from East German. Uh, and she ignored you at first. She did. <laughs> we made a video on the topic where we recreated right. me reaching out to her. I wrote a very, very long email, which is ill-advised if anybody's out there <laughs> trying to, to reach out to an influencer to get them to collaborate on your project. Do not write an eight-paragraph email. I, I disagree. Yeah. Honestly, I disagree because it it's not about brevity. It's about sincerity and heartfeltness. Yeah, and yeah. like, if if it's a generic email that is clearly being sent to several people and maybe you changed one paragraph then it's a problem if the email is long because then it's just like, what's this? Oh, no, I'm not even going to read this. But if it's clearly actually written to you, then I think most people, including very busy people, would read it. Yeah, that's true. I mean, and I, I don't know if she read it originally and this kind of like set it aside, but there was some weeks or even longer, I don't remember how yeah. long, where I didn't hear back from her. Um and yeah, eventually she wrote and said, you know, hey, I'm sorry, I'm I'm too busy for this project. It does sound interesting. Um, if you'd like to come by the office and just chat, you know, I'd be happy to chat with you. And I remember she said, in fact, I'm trying to reduce my own projects. So mm -hmm. I was like, oh, then there's really no chance if she's yep. trying to cut down on her own projects. And so I went into the meeting thinking the best I could really hope for is that she knows somebody, you know, and that we we form some kind of some kind of bond or, or, or connection. Like she gets it and, and she's like, yeah, a hub of like meeting somebody else. Um, but yeah, so I remember I went to the office in, uh, in Panko, which is now Seedling's office to, you know, <laughs> yeah. you've inherited it. Yeah, we inherited it. Um, and I just remember, you know, she opened the door so warmly, you know, everybody should know like who you see on videos, who you it, get in real that's life. That's what I tell everybody. Yeah, 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 yeah. About everybody. Yeah. If not even warmer, because yes. in real life, you don't expect, you know, somebody, you know. Like, she's so nice, guys. Yeah, she's, she's so nice. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, she's yeah. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I met her, I met Janusz, and, and also their interactions were, you know, kind of like, like, like I've just entered into the, the YouTube world and I'm just observing them and their interactions. Um, but yeah, so I, I remember I, I played it real cool because I was like, the one thing I didn't want to do is show up and like immediately start demoing my app. For sure. You know, For I was sure. like, okay, let me yeah. just chill out. Let's have some small talk. Let's get to know each other. And then when the time's right, it's going to, I'm going to, you know, start, start up the PowerPoint <laughs> start doing the pitch. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember she gave me a good segue because she was talking about, um, how she was using some of YouTube's features to, I, I think this like banner that you can put into the YouTube video to click to somewhere else. And she was talking about how they were using it to sort of like tie videos together and I was like, well, wouldn't it be great if we if there was software that was built specifically for language learning, also while keeping video in mind, and et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, and so I just broke out the, the laptop and showed her the the demo sort of prototype that I had at the time. And she, you know, watched it for a few minutes and was like, oh, that's cool. I want to work on that. <laughs> and it was like that quick. And suddenly she's in. And so, yeah, so then that started, uh, but that was, it was an interesting situation though, because I'd always expected that I needed a real linguistically oriented teacher because I thought I was looking for Michelle Thomas substitute. Uh -huh. Like at the time I was still very tied into this idea of his sort of methodologies, uh, and pedagogies. And, um, 
I hadn't broken into having my own kind of structure of how to approach things yet. And so, but when we started collaborating, I was like, okay, here's what, what you have, you know, in the absence of linguistic ability is like sense of humor, empathy, you know, storytelling ability. And so our original first lessons we built on, on Seedlang were just, um, like meme gifs that I pulled off Reddit of like animals and babies and Kari would describe them. Mm-hmm. So like, there's one of like a monkey in a barber chair getting a haircut and it's like the cutest little guy that seems completely out of like, uh, what's happening? And she's describing the scene and then the student repeats what, you know, she's describing. And then, um, yeah. And then that's enough. Like, cause you're, this is the Michelle Thomas listening, repeating, and then making translations. So we just start there, mm-hmm. you know? So in the beginning, the idea was, okay, let's just have kind of unstructured content that, um, and put it out there for the students to kind of browse like YouTube. Mm-hmm. And so that was the, the initial version of Seedling, but the feedback we were getting was, like, okay, you guys aren't really teaching me German because you're just giving me <laughs> all these gifts. Teaching yeah. me how to translate memes. Yeah, memes. <laughs> and um, and like, where do I start and where do I finish? And how do I know when I'm like A2? Yeah. Um, and so I remember I had a meeting with Kari where I was like, should we build an entire curriculum ourselves? You know, like, like I'm not a teacher. You're not a teacher. Like, should we do this? Um, and to me, I mean, my issue wasn't that we weren't teachers because I thought we could figure it out and we could figure out a curriculum. My issue was more like there are very large language learning apps that have not taken on a project so ambitious as to make an entire curriculum of videos, Mm -hmm. you know, of everything being video and everything. So like, unlike Duolingo or some other apps where they can basically enter their content in the back end and just hit enter and then it, it appears, we have to go shoot it. And it's like, how long will it take us to build this curriculum of video stories? Because that's the other thing is we decided instead of doing memes that we would build a story around every grammatical concept mm-hmm. um, and script it. And we wanted jokes and we wanted, you know, Giannis to appear in them and, and all this. And so, yeah, we decided to do it and got going, which <laughs> crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have questions about like the legality aspects of you know mm-hmm. now you've started your company also um, we still haven't answered the the, the visa question now uh, yeah, no, yeah, yeah how did you end visa, up okay, coming sure, back and sure. being able yes. to stay yeah so i came back um i hired somebody to help me with the visa because i was like okay the, the reason it didn't go well the first time was partly my tendency to procrastinate everything and so I needed somebody. Five all around. I, yep. I just needed somebody to keep me on track, and I completely overpaid for it. You know, like I think I should say the number because yeah. it's actually useful for people that are thinking of moving here. Um, I don't remember where I found this person. Somebody had recommended her that I met, and it was like twelve hundred euro for uh, her to just take me through every step of the of the way. Um, you'll be charging that. <laughs> It's a good business. <laughs> yeah. like, like, I don't want to do that as a job. That does not sound like fun. Rinse and repeat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I've met people since then where I was like, 
like they were looking for work and I was like, you should do this. Yeah. You know, I mean, this is easy. Hold yeah, people's yeah. hands for while you go to the husband. Essentially someone to guide you through the process. The whole process, do the paperwork, you know, even show you where you can bend the rules yeah. or for I the mean, to be fair, I would system. pay. I, I think there's a, and like there's some way of smart thinking into that, especially if what you're doing, like you kind of need to yeah, kind of stay just, here. Yeah. 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 I mean, at the time, I don't even know how far along it was on seedling, mm-hmm. um, but I knew I wanted to stay. But the interesting thing is, so she had guided me through the whole process. We had a appointment um, and she had told me sometime uh, that I had arrived um, at that time and she wasn't there. And I was so upset. I was like, I just wasted 1200 euro and you didn't show up at the appointment. And I, um, I started actually just heading home because I was like, I can't actually get through the interview without somebody helping me. Um, and she called me and said, you know, I told you the time to make sure you were early you know because my she, clients are always late always late <laughs> so I, I was like but well, that's that's the that's tricky weird. stuff right there yeah that's yeah, that yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 but anyway um, <laughs> i guess i i get her thinking yeah, yeah but you should but say it, like hey just so you know like this is an actual time if you miss it i don't know i was it, panicked i mean yeah no, exactly. she put me through an yeah. actual panic and so i think she could have avoided that somehow <laughs> i think if i had somewhere where i could leave her a review that, that then i would have put that in the review and then it would cost some some customers. Okay, so you ended up getting a freelance visa. Yeah. And then, so I think this was your question too, Jay, like basically the legalities of uh, like founding a business here, right? Yeah. And I think, I don't know how deep we want to get into it because I know that Seedlang's situation is a little bit unique yeah. and maybe more complex than other founders. Yeah. Um. So I started the business under my my personal tax ID, like basically started, you know, working on, on Cedalang. It started to make a little bit of money. You know, it took us from the point that me and Kari decided to start building that curriculum. It was still like nine or 12 more months before we started making any money. Those first months we were making, you know, a couple hundred euro or something. And so there was such small money on the table and I was kind of running low on my own funds. Um, that I I just set up a Stripe account to my bank account. So I mean, just to be you know transparent here, it's, um, it's something you should never ever ever do because I've spent years since then trying to um, untangle untangle and get things straightened out, and it's it's been a bit of a, a nightmare. Um, I think also that American systems are more used to people making mistakes, mm-hmm. and in the German systems, they're like, but that's not correct. <laughs> I was like, no, I know it's not correct. I just meant to untangle it later because I was short of funds and it was small amounts of money. Like, why did you do and, that? Yeah, why did you do that? That's, that's it not the way it's sense. done. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've had meetings with, you know, German accountants and lawyers where, oh my God, they don't hold back telling you what you, what, <laughs> what you did wrong. And, and it's almost like moral judgment against you, you know? <laughs> and like in the US, you, then you'll have a meeting with an American lawyer or accountant speaking about the same exact thing. And they're like, oh, we can handle this. You know, we yeah. got this, no problem. No, we'll figure know. it out. Yeah, yeah we'll figure worry. it out. Don't worry. And I'm just like, wow, that's a cultural difference. Um, I have a question and this, we might have to get back on track, but it's a really, really a big one that's on my mind. Um, why not make your company in the U.S. and then just work in Germany? 
So turns out, turns out <laughs> that that was actually how we um, how we ended up doing it. So so we have an American parent corporation with a German subsidiary to handle gotcha. all our payroll. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Because all of our employees, um, except for two, are are in Berlin. Gotcha. Um, yeah, yeah. So okay. that that was my mindset. From yeah. The <laughs> but is that so? In terms of what would you recommend someone who starts a business here and is from the U.S., let's say? Yeah. Is that the route you would no. recommend for post? Do post not businesses? do this. <laughs> do not do this. Okay. Um, so, why not? And what would be the alternative? Yeah. I. So, I mean, the thing is, is that um, I had a friend, a German friend here who went through Y Combinator, which is a accelerator for um, kind of taking early stage companies and um, mentoring them and helping them find investors. And it usually kind of catapults a business into being a much larger business when you go through this program. And, um, and he had told me because he had created a German corporation, um, that the process of then creating, um, an American corporation after the fact that would be the umbrella corporation, um, for the sake of American investors is like an amazingly painful process And he was like, if if you intend to raise money in the future, you should, as early as possible, have this American umbrella corporation so that they can invest in it safely. Um, but I think most companies don't need to orient themselves towards eventually raising money, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and I think, you know, we have ended up raising a small, like, kind of angel round. I haven't yet kind of gone to the U.S. and tried to raise on behalf of Seedling. Um, if I never do that, then I had gone through the whole process for nothing. Gotcha. And so now that possibility strikes me as maybe more likely than two years ago. I mean, two years ago, I would have thought it was um, almost certain that we I would eventually raise money in the U.S. And now it's 50-50. I'm just not sure. Mm -hmm. um, but it creates so much... Uh, operational complexity. You own two corporations. They need to have an, a relationship with each other. Um, like one becomes essentially a services company that provides services to the other, but you need to even find a way of distributing the revenue and the profit across both companies um, so that both, uh, both countries' tax authorities are happy. Mm -hmm. And so we have much, I mean, we spent a lot of time discussing how to keep the German tax authorities happy with our construction. And we have a, a situation that seems to work for now. Um, but because most of our operations are, are in Berlin, um, it creates, yeah, they, they're, they're, they want to make sure that we're distributing the, the profit fairly. So besides transferring your Stripe income to your personal bank account, what are some other mistakes you've made or things you've learned in the in the process of starting a company here? Yeah, I think basically it's trying to do too much yourself and not looking for external help sooner. You know, mm -hmm. like I think a lot of founders, I mean, you start yourself, you start potentially, you know, I was a solo founder before, um, Kari joined and she joined as kind of a part-time founder because she had easy languages, um, that you have this mindset that you can do everything yourself. And even, um, 
Do you kind of enjoy the process of learning all of these other things that are not even your your core competencies? But I think it holds you back in the long run because it it's kind of like a small mindset, you know? Like eventually, if the company succeeds, you're going to need to delegate a lot of things anyway. And it's a good skill to practice. It's a good thing to to work on. And so, yeah, I would be looking for external help as soon as possible, even um, if it's, you know, somebody that's just uh, kind of donating their time in, in exchange for a little bit of equity or something. I mean, um, I think that's a possible thing that, that you can do. Um, okay, yeah, that was going to be my next question. It's like a lot of times people do it themselves just because, as you had mentioned earlier, it costs less. In yeah. the beginning, you don't have that much money, stuff like that. Yeah. So are those options, like what additional options do you have of asking for help Yeah. you don't have the money to... Well, I think one thing is, I mean, you should be going to meetups and telling people your idea and they should be excited. Like if, if you're telling people the idea and everybody's kind of lukewarm or like never think, oh, but when I build it, then they'll see how great it is. Like the narrative alone should be sparking some excitement from somebody. And if you tell the story enough times, you should find people that are actually excited to kind of pitch in with you. I mean, I had the experience that, I mean, I had people sort of offering to like to join and sort of co-found it with me and it was never the right fit, but I always found that to be a good sign that I was on the right path, Mm -hmm. you know? So, so apart from the fact that you have a company in Germany and in the U S technically speaking, it's the same company, but they're both companies, corporations, Let's just compare starting a company in the U.S. and Germany. Like yeah. I, the the thing that I hear is that it's uh, much more difficult in Germany in terms of the bureaucracy you have to go through yeah. and the forms you have to fill and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, the the um, the German corporation that we created took years for us to to from start to finish. It took. I think about two years. I mean, I think it took that long also because we had some things to untangle, you know, um, just, you know, a, a variety of things. And um, and also, but maybe even more than that was that, you know, actually me and Kari were undertaking this effort in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And actually one of my biggest recommendations would be don't try to save money by doing things yourself because we try to do it our- ourselves. And there's some... Um, logistical challenges to this process that if you miss a window of time, you have to start everything over. Mm-hmm. And it was things like we would need to get a certificate of good standing from the U.S., from our, our Delaware Corporation of our American company, our American parent company. But it's only valid for like X weeks. Mm-hmm. And as soon as it's invalid, all of the German side has to start over. We have to go get this document again. Um, and But my biggest recommendation looking back is spend the money. Like don't try to save the money. Cause we were, we were faced with like, okay, we do it ourselves and we'll pay, you know, let's say low thousands and we hire somebody else and we'll pay 10,000. Just pay the 10,000 if you can. Um, because I think it'll, it'll actually in the end save money and it'll save your own frustration and you'll get it done right. And you won't have to redo anything. And yeah. And so one question that maybe should have come before when would you even turn a project into a company? Ooh, because a you question. could literally have done Seedlang 
because I mean, you just mentioned you were the only developer for a long time, and you yeah. could have done it just on your own time and moved the money to your private personal bank account and just be done with it, right? At what point? I I, I mean, I I'm sure once employees are coming into the mix, you kind of need to yeah, incorporate. But, but what, like, what's the point when you even should decide to deal with all of this? As soon as you make your first dollar. I mean, looking back on it, that's the answer. But and the, what I thought was that when you're small and um, and you're broke, you know, which I, I was in a sense, um, that the stakes are so low that how can you make a mistake? Like you just do what you do. But you, this is the thing of spending all this time untangling it. So in in Germany, they have something called a UG, which yeah. is like the the German corporations at GmbH, the, the the sort of formal one, but the UG is exactly the same as a GmbH, except it carries less stature within German society. And so, um, but the difference is that for the the GmbH, you need twenty five thousand in the bank to get started. Um, in contrast, to create an American corporation, you can do it using Stripe Atlas, which is what we used for a hundred dollars. And it it's I think it takes a few days for you to get your tax ID, something like that. And so, you know, you're talking about, you know, from the American side, $100 to the German side, thousands. And from the American side, like days and from the German side, months. It's like it's vastly different in terms of the complexity. But coming back to this question, any project that you start that makes any amount of money you think is worth incorporating into yeah. a company instead of just doing it under your own name and telling the ta tax office, hey, I am also earning with this project? Yeah. I mean, the tax office will accept this idea that you're receiving money, but they want that money. Like their idea of what you must be doing is that you're doing a service business. Like mm -hmm. you're, you know, you're a graphic designer, you're charging per project or whatever. But they don't want you taking subscription money from customers across the world into your personal account. Like that's that's just it. Just it should be a corporation. As soon as you're taking like subscription fees, a kind of like you know a SaaS business or something like that, you should have a corporation from the start. So sincere question. Yeah, Jay and I have like five supporters on Buy Me a Coffee who uh -huh. sent us a few euros. Uh huh. We haven't withdrawn that money yet because I'm slightly scared <laughs> yeah, of what yeah, might happen. Yeah. Is that like I, too much already, or what's like what? What do we do? I don't know. I mean, I think if the numbers always stay small, that then it's kind of not a risk. You know, the risk is when the numbers get big or bigger. Then how do you untangle it? Then then going and backtracking and trying to get everything straightened out. But it's it's not it's not illegal to to mix. The funds. It's just an accounting nightmare to get them unmixed in the future, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of up to you. You know, of course, I'm not an expert, so I'm just speaking from my own experience. But it's, I think it's up to you just, you know, where do you think it's going to go and how much risk do you want to take, essentially. Mm -hmm. So speaking of, like, where you want to go, I know now Ceiling is working right now do with the Spanish portion and the French yeah. portion and stuff. Where do you see Seatling going? And now that you are working on different apps uh, or different languages, do you see yourself expanding to different locations as well or mm. keeping everything in Berlin? I mean, I think we'll keep our content creation in Berlin. I mean, even though we lose a little bit of authenticity, you know, like we're creating a 
a French and Spanish program. You know, the French teachers are shooting in Berlin. They're not in Paris. Mm-hmm. Um, but operationally, it's so much cheaper. And then we have the ability for, like, our different language teams to collaborate on content. Um, because, I mean, it, yeah, it should be sort of um, understood that we we create stories. So we're often writing kind of um, – narratives and everything and so the fact that the the different language teams are all together means um like we we have a storyline where the french german and spanish teachers are roommates in an apartment and they can play as like you know having all the challenges of being roommates um so it's, it's just a nice thing to have everybody here and collaborating um in terms of the future i mean it, we're in a strange position where i mean a lot of people who use our app think we're like the best app, you know. I mean, we can't claim we're the best app, but we have some. Look at they the reviews. Say we're the best app, so I'm just going to let you guys know that they say we're the best. App. Look at the reviews yeah. in in, uh, in the app store. Really they're they're app. quite high. Um, so I think from a product standpoint, we we could be on the same level as like Memorize and Babel and so forth. And so it's a question of. Um, like, where do we want to go? And I think actually the next year or so will tell us a lot about where we're headed. Essentially, the reception of the French and Spanish apps will have a lot to tell us, you know. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, if nothing else, we're, we're going to be a, a great app that kind of operates in a kind of modest scale from Berlin. Um but we, I always have my eye on how do we become a very large app, um, possibly without raising any money, which I think makes that that challenge harder. You know. Okay, and I have one last question on my side. Um, what advice do you have to anyone who might be from like an international place, maybe from the U.S., who wants to come to Berlin to start a company or whatnot? Okay, interesting. I mean, to come here. Just to start a company. Um, or they see something in Berlin that they feel like they can offer and maybe doing a company would be the best way. Yeah, I. it's hard for me to give that kind of global advice. I mean, I, I think the thing to do is come here, see if you like it, um, keep your options open for where to start the company. If you can start it in the U.S., you know, maybe just start it in the U.S. Um, um, if you start it in the U.S. as a Delaware corporation they make it very easy to transfer that corporation to somewhere else they, they, they make it very easy to disband that corporation and so it might be um the easiest way to do it might be to start a delaware corporation from germany and decide later if the company starts to grow and you need to um re-corporate as a german corporation i don't know i wouldn't be very aggressively trying to create a german corporation I think it's so, it's just, there's so much bureaucracy, so much headache, um, so much expense that I would, I would leave that only for when it's necessary because you're hiring a bunch of German people, essentially. What What's Berlin's founder scene like? Are you like best friends with all the founders that are in Berlin? I mean, when I first got here, I was more active on the sort of, like ed tech scene like they there's actually um well i belong to the factory co-working which is a nice place to uh 
to check out if you come here. Um, and somebody there was organizing an ed tech dinner um, every, I don't know, one or two months. And I was attending those and then Corona kind of, kind of killed that. Um, I mean, I was a lot more active on the sort of startup scene before Corona. And then after Corona, I don't know, I think I'm getting a little bit like crotchety old, you know, founder <laughs> that's seen it all. Been there, done that. Been there, done it. I, I don't get as um, enthusiastic about, I think I'm a little more skeptical about um, whether people really should start a business. You know, I think it's harder than you'll expect. I think even when you have many advantages in your favor, you'll be surprised at how hard it is. Um, what are the alternatives then? Um, well, there. but my my feeling is that there's some people that just have to be a founder because they don't feel like they're employable. And I feel like I'm in that camp. Like, I hate being an employee. If I'm an employee, I'm creating a lot of noise because I want everything to be done differently. Yeah. If you're this type, then go start a business. But if you're the type that actually can operate well within a corporation and add value and be creative and be fulfilled, it's a much easier life. It often leads to a better financial outcome, to be honest, because, you know, starting a business could end up that you're kind of um, scraping for years and and holding on to dreams. And um, yeah, I think maybe it, I just think it's one of those endeavors where um, it's like a lot of things in life that you're competing against people who are living and breathing this thing, like who have, who feel they have no choice but to do it. And if you, if you're questioning whether you should do it, then you shouldn't do it. For you sure. know? Um, yeah, that's kind of my, my take. Like the people that actually should be doing it wouldn't need any advice because they're, you know, they're single minded, you know, for years. Okay. So I got a job at a Berlin startup in 2000. 12, I think. And in my interview, I told them, you know, just so you know, I'm going to be leaving soon. Because I started this, this <laughs> your your job interviews have been going great. So well, they, they hired me. I mean, it makes you very attractive when you're yeah. telling them, you know, Honestly. look, I've got options. I, I, and so, I mean, I remember I have a friend that I met at this company and I was talking to him recently and he was saying, you know, the first day I met you, the first thing you told me is about Seedling. You just started talking about Seedling. Uh -huh. And so I was like, I was like a man on a mission. I was like, I was like living, breathing. I was working constantly. I was working seven days a week for years. I mean, literally seven days a week for years um, and obsessed. And I think you should be like that if you're going to do this, because you're, if you're not, your competitors are like this and they're going to, I don't know. This isn't Slaughter a very, you. yeah, this isn't a very German cultural, you know, uh, work-life balance kind of approach. This might be my old American kind of workaholic hustle culture, hustle culture approach. I mean, I would say I've, I've toned that down a lot over the years. Um, but I just think, yeah, if you're meant to do this, you'll know, like you don't, you don't need to, to, um, to debate it, you know?